Welcome to Unproduced, the show where we dig up Hollywood's dead scripts and whack them with a baseball bat until candy comes out. I'm Zach, with me as always is Violet. Great, Scott, I'm here! This week, speaking of, we're heading back to the 1980s to talk Bob Gale's Doctor Strange. Now this is important. We're going to be quick so everyone can attend the Enchantment Under the Sea dance tonight. I have a really pretty dress for it. You all better show up. Yeah, we're going to give rides there on the DeLorean if anyone's running late. Just, you know, don't be driving 88. Yeah, that's a Bob Gale rule, guys. Yeah. Oh, if it was up to us, you know, we drive really fast. Yeah. yeah. Like Matthew Broderick. If you didn't know, <laughs> or if you hadn't guessed already, <laughs> uh, Bob Gale is one of the two writer-producers of the Back to the Future trilogy. Yeah, and that was actually one of my favorite movies growing up. It was one of those that showed up on, like, ABC Family every weekend, Mm -hmm. all three of them, over and over and over again. So I just listened to it. I watched them and listened to them and did all that all the time. Yeah, no, me too. Obsessive. I I absolutely destroyed my box set of the trilogy as a kid, Mm -hmm. um, and I've owned it so many different times. Yes. Um, I'll yeah. be honest, I liked Michael J. Fox the most because he's only about 5'3", and so am I. Sure. Made me feel better about myself. Sure. Yeah. Hey, it's all about relatability, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. Speaking of relatability, Ooh. I'll tell you a story about one of the first conventions I ever went to. Ooh. Because it had the guy who played Strickland there. Sure. He and I did not relate. Oh. I mean, I was like 15 at the time, so I excuse myself for this. But the guy had been in like hundreds of movies. I didn't know that. So I walked up to him, and I was like, hey, I loved you in the movie. And he was like, which one? (laughs) That's a fair question. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even even, he's in all three, you know what I mean? So even then, that's that's more than one. Yeah. Well, you know. But, you know, such is life. Luckily, he didn't call you a slacker. That's true. Yeah. That would have been great, though. Would have enjoyed that. (laughs) Uh, Violet, tell me about Bob Gale. All right. So let's talk about Bob Gale. Uh... 1985's Back to the Future is the movie that makes him famous, right? And in the midst of that fame, he's still a working scriptwriter. He's got a few things that he's looking to get off the ground when he has time. Um, And one of them is an adaptation of Marvel Comics' Doctor Strange. Uh, And that's really just because Gale is a huge fan of it. He sought it out, wrote a script, had the rights, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so in a 1986 Starlog interview, which is really the only place that Gail talks about this project, we're going to hit his other interview about this as well. Um, but he talks about his take on the material uh, and how he's approaching it in, in the eighties. Uh, he says that he went back to the original stories to make the movie too true to the spirit of the comics. It's the origin story of Dr. Strange. He begins as a stuck-up, arrogant New York City surgeon who loses the use of his hands and goes on a quest to get them healed. Ends up in Nepal and meets the Ancient One, and we go from there. So it's not very different uh, from what we got in 2016, really. Sure. And uh, I believe there was a TV pilot for Doctor Strange on CBS, right, in uh, 1978? Yeah, that's right. Um, That was maybe the first... The first point that that uh, Doctor Strange as a character ever hit the screen at all. Yeah. Um, but Gale was not big on that pilot, and he wasn't shy about saying so, um, he, because he said it bears so little resemblance to the comic. He didn't care for it because if you're going to call it Doctor Strange, it should be what it's supposed to be. There were some trappings, but everything else had been so changed it didn't bear enough resemblance to the comics to buy it as Doctor Strange. 
So what we've got is a guy who really loves the OG comics, is a famous and well-connected writer and producer, and wants to see this movie happen. Right, am I right? Yeah, I right? exactly. It sounds like a crazy recipe for success, right? Right. Uh, it's a surprise, then, that this project never moves beyond the scripting stage. Um, I did read, though, that there were some casting rumors floating around, mm. um, primarily male British actors uh, with names like Bandersnatch Cucumber, his cousin Banderwunsch Comberbonk, mm. uh, and also Nicolas Cage. Well, of course. Naturally, mm. yeah. Is any of that true? No. Oh. That's true. <laughs> what is None true? None of it. What is true? All right, so what is true is this. We have a chance to dig into the whirlwind nature of Marvel Comics' existence as a company in the late 1980s. And if you thought the diverging timelines in Back to the Future Part 2 were nuts, you should really strap in. They are nothing compared to the history of Marvel Comics' character rights and licensing. Well, because these days we're all really used to the juggernaut that is Marvel Studios. It's like backed by the power of the House of Mouse. It's They're basically succeeding at every turn. It's hard to imagine a time when that wasn't the case. Yeah. But the thing is that in the late 80s, the concept of unequivocal success is kind of out of reach for Marvel uh, as a whole. The company, Marvel Comics, is bought and sold three times in the years we're talking about, which is between 1985 and 1990. So over a five-year span, they get bought and sold by three different companies. Um, As far as their comics went, there are now classic runs of Chris Claremont and John Byrne's Uncanny X-Men and Frank Miller's Daredevil running at that point. Those are both commercial and critical successes. But the quote-unquote Marvel age of comics that began in the 1960s with Stan Lee and all of his original creations has kind of petered out, you know? Like Peter Parker. Yes, precisely like him. That's my contribution. Yeah, that's a good contribution. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, So in 1986, which is the same year that Bob's uh, draft script is dated, Mm -hmm. call him Bob because we're good friends. I know Bob. Yeah. Bob's a good dude. Uh, Marvel is bought by a company called New World Entertainment, and they're a multimedia company. I think that's when they released The Punisher with Dolph Lundgren was through New World Entertainment, I think. That sounds kind of vaguely familiar. Yeah, I mean, that sounds right, um, given when it came out and and how long Marvel was actually part of New New World. Mm. Uh, So at this time, um, 1986, right... Uh, Back to the Future has hit it big. It's huge. Bob Gale is crazy famous all of a sudden. And they decide to make Back to the Future Part 2 and 3. Not only do they decide to make them, they are greenlit to be written and filmed back to back. Which everybody involved told each other, this is insane. And then they did it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it worked out. But the thing is that this process lasts from 1987 to 1989. Right? Now, obviously, these things we're talking about, the sale of Marvel and uh, Back to the Future 2 and 3, they're unrelated, but it's easy enough to see why Strange ends up on the back burner for Bob Gale, yeah? Yeah, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, just as free time starts appearing on the horizon of Gale's schedule again in 1989, there's a new corporate wrinkle that shows up. Because, yay, capitalism. Sure. Um, In 1989, New World Entertainment is in a slump across the board. Uh, Just like Marvel, kind of. So they decide that it's time to restructure. And when they restructure, the first thing they do is sell Marvel Comics to a company called Andrews Group. Now keep in mind the specific names here 
of these companies are really only important in that they give us a way to track who has what when as it relates to Marvel. So don't worry too much uh, about remembering all the names. I was getting a little worried. Yeah. The actor who has a eidetic memory is worried, guys. How you doing? <laughs> so the thing, that the, the crazy thing that happens with this sale, right, is that Marvel Comics and Marvel Productions, which are two different companies, one is the comics and one is the TV and, fel- and film development arm, mm-hmm. um, they get split, right? New World keeps the TV and film projects arm of Marvel, but the source material, aka Marvel Comics itself, is sold. Okay. So there's a couple things to keep in mind as we're talking about why this movie never got off the ground as it relates specifically to this, right? One. One. Ah, ah, ah. (laughs) (laughs) With Marvel Comics and Marvel Productions owned by different companies, contracts about how and when various characters can be used probably got more complex for the next few years. I don't have a lot to back that up. It's just an educated guess that when two different big companies hold things, you're going to get a Marvel and Sony situation, right. uh, just like we've had recently. Two. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. I'm proud of myself. You should be. That's good. Uh, Marvel Productions' parent company, New World, right? Selling off Marvel Comics didn't solve their cash flow problems. So they sell Marvel, and then in 1989, New World as a whole, which still has Marvel Productions with it, right, is bought by Andrews Group as well. So that means that everything is back under one roof. Uh, Sounds great, as bizarre as it is that, you know, the company has essentially been bought twice by the same same conglomerate. Mm. But... Everything's under the, under the one roof, but Andrews decided to aim Marvel Productions at animated TV programming rather than feature films. So by 1993, Marvel Productions becomes New World Animation, and they focus primarily on kids' animated TV shows for the foreseeable future. And they do fine with that. It's just that they're not focused on uh, the big screen at all. What we have to show... How nuts this got on a creative level is another Starlog interview that Bob Gale gives in 1990. It's one sentence that he gives about it, but it tells you pretty much everything you need to know. As far as Doctor Strange, he says, I don't even know who owns the rights. So he's written this script. He wants to do it, but he's no longer attached to the project so closely that he knows where he has to go to get it made. Um because it's so lost in the morass of everything else that's going on for the companies. Sure. Um, He also talks about how there was another attempt to put Strange on TV at one point, uh, but whoever shepherded that project didn't like his script. Um, And he has some insightful things to say about the adaptation of uh, comic books as well in this interview, you know, as it relates to that. And he talks about what's frustrating is that when you're dealing with comic book heroes, you're not able to control the underlying source material. Um, He says, I may have a particular vision, but at the same time, I'm not in a position to stop someone else from doing something completely different with that same source material. Basically, in the end, the theatrical film production production arm of Marvel, like we said, withers and dies on the vine by 1989. Uh... By the time Gale finishes up with Back to the Future, Strange is a forgotten dream entirely. 
And it's going to stay that way until 2016 across the board. Because after Gale's project fizzles, along with a few other drafts that were then written by Stan Lee himself, wow. this dude named Charles Band gets the script option. But he can't get it off the ground either. Uh, the only reason I mention him is because Band goes ahead and pulls a dragnet. You know, some names have been changed to protect the innocent. Yeah. All these stories are true. Uh, <laughs> that's a very old reference. I, listen, I appreciate showing it. Showing my age. Uh. But, you know. It's important. Mm. It's important that we know. So, Band makes a super low-rent film in 1992 called Dr. Morted. It's Dr. Strange, where he just pressed Control-R and replaced the name Strange with Morted. And changed... Morded? Not even morbid. Yeah, no, Morted. Okay. He changes his colors from red to blue, and they make a really bad bottom-of-the-barrel movie (laughs) with it. I can't say I've seen it. That is as close as we get to a Doctor Strange movie until 2016. Gotcha. Now, if you're curious, uh, in the interim, 20th Century Fox acquires New World Entertainment, which is still Marvel's parent company, in 96. And then five years later, in July 2001, the uh, House of Mouse comes a-knockin', and they buy a bunch of stuff from Fox, including Marvel Productions. And then around 2006, 2007, Kevin Feige comes along. Oh, the guy with the hat. Yeah, the guy with the hat um, who watched X-Men get made and then, you know, figured out how to make even better movies. Yeah. So, yeah, eventually we get 2016's Doctor Strange. But that's really not what we're here to talk about today. So we're going to tell you about Bob Gale's script Hmm. for Doctor Strange. So the script opens and we're just like... Fucking looking at a dead dog and two stereotypes whose character descriptions tell us that their body language suggests an oriental upbringing, yikes, Mm -hmm. are checking it out and they come across a funeral nearby and it turns out there's some people who worship the key to hell, which gives them red eyes and that penchant for eating people. Uh, Our two fake out protagonists are soon confronted by a naked savage beast who I can only assume would have been played by Sarah and Jessica Parker. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, everyone starts kung fu fighting, and yes, it admittedly gets a little bit frightening. Our stereotypes defeat the creature and watch its soul bugger off back across the river, where they agree they'll find Skull Cane, the aforementioned key to hell. There, like a subway managerial meeting, some robe-wearing bitches are performing a ritual on a kidnapped little child. They're trying to use the wee lad and an induced eclipse as a vessel for Dormammu. Yeah, that one. No, if they don't know, who's Dormammu? Uh, well, you know that bit where he keeps showing up and he goes, Dramamu, I've come to bargain. He's that. He's the big face. He's the big evil. He's the big face. Big yes. evil face. Mm-hmm. Not not the other big evil face. That's also Galactus, I think. That's a different That's thing. That's true. Yeah. yeah. He's well, not a big piss cloud, though. It's true. That's the weird one. I got confused because this version of Dormammu stands behind an invisible door and screams at everybody to let him out. I kept picturing him being played by, like, David Bowie or something. Like, I don't know why. I I, like, I would have seen that movie if yeah. David Bowie was playing that part. Yeah, yeah. So mm. one Or of, David Bowie is Doctor Strange. Yeah. I was alternating between reading this where Cumberbatch was still just Doctor Strange, but also kind of reading it where Bruce Campbell could have been Doctor Strange. <laughs> like, I was trying to kind of balance between both. Mm. But we'll get to him. Yeah. So one of our heroes fires his trusty Bart Simpson slingshot at the Epstein of the ceremony and botches the ritual. Chaos breaks out. And there's a tense struggle as Anakin, with Obi-Wan incapacitated, is left to stop Epstein from completing the release of Dormammu. But thankfully the eclipse passes and the whole thing's buggered. 
Dormammu pieces out, and Obi-Wan is able to split the seconds-ago thought indestructible skull cane in twain. Mm. And nobody lost a hand, surprisingly. Not this time. That usually happens when there's a Kenobi in the mix. Right. <laughs> uh, Obi-Wan gives Anakin his amulet and turns to dust. So Obviously. Yeah, you know, he spoke too soon. Uh, of course, <laughs> you know, the captured kid has witnessed this whole thing and is understandably a little freaked. Uh, Anakin takes the kid home, and we cut to... Dr. Stephen... Weird Al Strange. Second best doctor in the world, after Dr. Rick Douglas, MD, of course. And uh, he's finishing another impossible surgery. And he's a great magician and really, really, really values his hands, which obviously I know won't come up later, but, you know, I'm just making sure you know that. Yeah, it's important. Forget about it. Forget he, about does, he does lots of hand exercises mm, mm. to make sure that he doesn't get carpal tunnel. Yeah, he, was, he does, from a, writing he does all those. a little bit of this. <laughs> uh, for those listening, I'm... I'm flipping her off yeah which isn't i'm not even surprised anymore it's just sort of a matter of course that this happens uh so strange has a meeting wait wait who is dr rick daglas oh uh that's a that's um the protagonist of garth marenghi's dark place okay that's a i knew it was going to be a matt barry character of some type yeah yeah yeah. just just adjacent to him yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah yeah, what does he sound like maybe that'll like help me remember larry you're on. <laughs> the gates to hell had been opened. Well, not literal gates. They were more like portals, really. Uh, <laughs> Strange has a meeting with this colleague and that, firms, that you know, firmly establishes his Mr. Krabs-inspired view on charity. Uh, though he does point out charity is a way for the hospital to justify their costs. I mean, you know, he's, he's right, but he's wrong. Uh, he also kicks puppies and killed the Lindbergh baby. Uh, his colleague is so pissed off that he gladly offers him the job. Man, the way the world works for white men. It must be nice. The way it's always been. I can't imagine yeah. it ever changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think of these early scenes establishing Strange as a dick? I mean, I like our opening scene uh, with it back in the past mm-hmm. a little bit. I yeah. mean, yes, it's rote. It's nothing super surprising, but it did pull me into the script. Yeah. Um, more so than... Um, than I might have expected. Sure. Uh, for, for something that's clearly just a, hey, here's here's the prologue to this. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, I, I jokingly refer to them as Obi-Wan and Anakin, but that's sort of like the mentorship thing I was getting from these two yeah, characters. Definitely. Um, throughout. Because they're sorcerers, cool. right? They're, they're yeah. the, the one that turns to dust was the Sorcerer Supreme. I yeah. Think. And he has, he has this and, like amulet, you know, and it's, yeah. it's, a, whole, it's a whole deal. Violet, you don't necessarily have an attachment to the Doctor Strange character. I do not. I, you know, definitely feel like generally he's sort of Iron Man without the charisma. Yeah. Um, There is a little bit more charisma to the character and a little bit more of a, um, like, vaguely humorous edge to what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah, what did you think of of Strange in these early scenes? I think he literally reads about the same as the character that's been in the movies, like the more modern Marvel movies for, you know, what, five, six years now. Like, Mm -hmm. he's pretty much just, you know, he's arrogant, he's got space to learn, and he's very dry. Um, And he has to kind of go on an arc of, of being humbled. Yeah. You know, but otherwise, he, he reads pretty much the same, which I haven't read much Doctor Strange source material, but I can just imagine then that that, that must just be who the character fundamentally is. I mean, it, I, I, I have to assume so as well. I really haven't read any of, the, any of the source material either. Like, I didn't know how much of that Cumberbatch brought to it, but mm-hmm. I, it seems like a lot of it's just been 
there all along. Mm-hmm. Um, so Strange, uh, he wants to purchase a spooky-looking Greenwich Village brownstone. And damn it, he gets it because he's the best damn doctor on the ward. Uh, he calls out a homeless man asking for change. But once he gets him to admit to using the money to buy booze, Strange gives him a tenner to at least get a decent bottle of scotch, which... You know, I, I thought that was kind of an interesting little, little moment, kind of fun. Yeah, that's that's sort of what I, where I felt like there's a little bit more of a character there than just somebody who thinks he's better than everybody else. Yeah. He just has a weird set of morals, right. question mark? Yeah, uh, that, a little jaded. Yeah, he's jaded, but he appreciates honesty, Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah. I don't know. And of course, at the same time, Strange is being watched by a man in Chinese robes. But, you know, it's New York, baby. So he's like, how's it going? And then he just leaves. Uh, at a cocktail party, though, uh, Strange is about to put the moves on a mysterious-looking lady. But he's uh, cock-blocked by another colleague who shows him an artifact she's procured, which is, in fact, one half of Skullcane. Ayo. Strange's <laughs> colleague loves how positively evil it looks. Right. Yeah. That's that's good. That's good. That's what you want to have in your house. Well, I was really thinking that this uh, this colleague that procured the the half of Skullcane was going to be like a twist villain. Like mm-hmm. that that line she has. Where, oh, I just love how evil it looks, and I was really expecting her to be be a twist villain. But they've already got one of those. That's true. They story, do. So. Yeah. Uh, and the mysterious lady that Strange has been eyeing decides to check out Skullcane too. Uh, she has a British accent, so fuck off, Steve. She's mine. Uh, he goes to get her a drink, but she's gone. And I love that the characters that he questions about her whereabouts are just, like, labeled, they're just referred to as, you know, gay in the script. Like, that's the character name, you know? And, and yeah, it's very creative. Yeah, that was, I, I had to sort of double check. Because the version of, we, of the script we have is a, um, like, photocopied one. So there's potential for misreading, but this was not a misread. They, he was literally just, like, gay man. Yeah. Not you there. Man, just gay. You there, gay. Where's my woman? You know, oh, Matt Barry is Doctor Strange. That'd be great. That'd be very good. You know, and at least Strange gives him the strength. That's you know, and, yeah, yeah. That's that's nice. That makes up for the uh, stereotyping. Right, right. And mm-hmm. you know, Strange does what I would do if a British lady at a party talked to me for thirty seconds or more and races after her at dangerous speed in his automobile. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's ambushed by a naked dude running in the middle of the road, which, to be fair, he should have expected, leaving a cocktail party. Uh, and he Matthew Broderick's his car off the road. There we go. Three Matthew Broderick references in two episodes. We're doing great. It, really, it's this not even really, my record. This yeah. is what it's supposed to be like. Violet, guess what? What? Doctor Strange fucked up his hands. No! Yeah, he's donezo as a surgeon. Or is he? he? I thought he was going to fuck up his legs because those are his most important things. He operates with his legs. Yeah. Yeah. He sits back in a lawn chair, puts his leg up, Mm -hmm. and, you know, does his surgeries that way. Listen, he's finished as a surgeon. Or is he? Yeah, no, he pretty much is. (laughs) Uh, He embarks on a hand training montage. And men... Those reporters that are, like, following him around are really fascinated with this asshole's hands. They're like, show us your hands! Show us your hands! God, it's like a southern cop. Aww. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, <sighs> fuck. <laughs> anyway. So his colleague visits him and offers him a consultant position at the hospital, but Strange refuses. He's gonna fix those mitts, by gum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do like that that point in his backstory, though. I think it's great. Like, the, oh, the yeah. cocky surgeon who's like, oh, man, I'm a, I'm a whiz with my hands. It's like, well, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and I do like, I got 
a little bit more of a feel for Strange as a character through these this sequence. Like, it's super, super weird that he just chases a woman in his car trying to find her. Yeah. Um, it's like a bad, like, like a poor choice in a sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> like... That, kids, is how I almost met your mother and lost my hands and instead. lost my hands. <laughs> I really want to know what, what really particular way you can crash a car where the most damaged thing is your hands. Yeah. You know? That's that's a good point. Like, maybe I should rewatch the, the actual movie that came out, but I, I feel like it was just, there was a car crash, and they're like, oh no, his hands. Mm-hmm. And the rest of him was just fine. Yeah. Um, but I like, I like this fact that he is so focused on his hands... Um, because it gives us insight into him as a character, yeah, right, in a way that I don't remember feeling in the 2016 movie, where the reason he's like, uh, we're going to talk more about what he does to try and fix his hands in a minute, but the fact that he's clearly doing this because that's all he has, yeah. right, where he's like, he doesn't know who he is if he's not a surgeon. Nothing that's... can humble this guy unless you take away the one thing that he's good at. Yeah, and I think we see that in that sequence where his uh, his colleague offers him that consultancy gig, right? Yeah, where he's um, like, "I'd rather, you know, I'd rather not work here than than be a consultant. Like, I belong, you know, in the OR." Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's it's, it's so very much just, a character moment. Yeah, and he's not taking the easy way out. And if um, I recall, he apologizes to his colleague too. Like, he kind of breaks that that harsh exterior for a second and he's like i'm sorry you know i appreciate the offer but i can't be a consultant and i think that's yeah. that's a little bit humanizing and it's at a good point to do it it's like really one of the first humanizing things uh they give to him yeah for sure so strange tries more therapy and surgeries but he's still missing the magic fingies uh, he's even desperate enough to try religion that idiot <laughs> He's broke, he's an alcoholic, and now he's the bum asking for a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And throughout all of this, he's desperately trying to do a magic trick. Yeah. Uh, which is definitely a, uh, you know, Chekhov's red balls. <laughs> I heard it. I heard it as I said it. Uh-huh. I yeah, heard it. <laughs> no, that's one Star Trek movie I did not see. <laughs> wow. That's, yeah, it's that's like a why I didn't sh- let anybody down into the engine room. Oh, hello. <laughs> Yeah, that's... I'm uh, giving it all she's got, Captain! Oh, no. Oh, no, I ripped it off. Oh, no. (laughs) So it's like a little shell game or whatever, but there's like a red ball... I guess, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and he uses it as a he uses it as a dexterity thing yeah. to prove that he's uh it's it's a visual way of marking what he's capable of and what he's not. And he mentions early on that if if he tries the trick and he can't do it flawlessly, he won't operate. Yeah. You know, like that's it's very constant. Um which mm-hmm. is it's nice. And it's one of those things where I mean it's visual storytelling. You can turn off the audio and realize, okay, that's important and the more he does it, you know. The, the more we're, we're seeing where he's at. Yeah, exactly. Um, he finds a shop, um, which I imagine just would would have looked like any old bogus shop you'd see in like Chinatown or whatever, advertising, you know, miracle cures. Uh, and the man inside, who we'll, we'll see again later, uh, tests him on his willingness to be healed by the Ancient One, mm-hmm. which I believe involves putting his hand up to a flame. Oh, yeah, um, he's testing what it... Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird little moment that I don't think quite lands where he's like, if you stick your hand in the flame, you're willing to do anything. Yeah. And he's like, okay, sure. <laughs> Bet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but the guy's like, yeah, all right, you can be healed by the ancient one. 
Strange visits his money man, Jim, who reveals that the spooky brownstone he liked so much has accumulated exactly the amount of rent he needs to travel to the Himalayas to see the Ancient One. Strange, yes. Mm. Calgon, take me away. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that means, but it's funny. Ancient Chinese secret, huh? So Strange and his travel buddy Akbar aren't having much luck. It's a trap! It's a, thank you very much for that. Thank you, thank you. I was thinking of the little corn from the song, from little Akbar, anyway. Uh, <laughs> listen, they're not having much luck finding the ancient one, all right? They're, like, basically telling him it's, it's about as likely as finding Santa Claus, which, to be fair, you could probably find Tim Allen in any comedy club doing cocaine and screaming the N-word. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. And if he's not there, he's in, he's in the airport lounge. Yeah, 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 that's generally where you find him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Strange Witness is an odd scene unfolding at a temple. There's like a kid who's been hit with an arrow, and yeah. there's like a priest wearing some like weird headgear. Do you know why the kid got hit with an arrow? Yeah. Because he walked into a trap. Oh. Violet, <laughs> Violet, you're talking about Star Wars when a 13 year old boy is Hunger Games and around with an arrow. <laughs> All right, it's pandemonium. It's, it's pandemonium. It is pandemonium, but you know what? Star Wars is pandemonium. There's brothers and sisters kissing each other and swinging oh. across chasms. Yeah, it's yeah. Du- point is, it's very thematically related. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree. I'm deflecting. Uh, Strange announces that he's a doctor, you know, and there's always that line, you know, is anybody here a doctor? I'm a doctor, you know, uh, and he <laughs> saves the boy with an arrow in him. He's back, baby? Mm-hmm. So people are impressed enough to take him to the Ancient One after this, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he travels to the right place, but then he has to wait for the Ancient One to come out of a trance, which, like ordering from a CD distributor, could take anywhere from no time at all to uh, basically never. Oh, that's pointed. Uh, that is very pointed. <laughs> Did you notice that his, tr- his trek to get to the Ancient One felt like they lifted it out of Last Crusade? <laughs> Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I have to do these very specific things that are super weird and climb through a mountain and like over an invisible bridge. Mm. It's very, it felt very Last Crusade yeah. for about half a page. Yeah. I like it though. Yeah. Uh, so once he gets there, uh, they accommodate him with his own room and pretty soon, who, who does he meet? Some guy named Baron Mordo. Wow. Definitely not particularly important. Yeah, and he uh, he wa- he seemingly wants to try to fix uh, Strange's greasy little digis uh, while the Ancient One's whacking one off. And it seemingly works. Mm. See, you know, it seems like it works. But there's something fishy about all this uh, when the Ancient One finally agrees to meet with Strange and Mordo, like, you know, he's not exactly chuffed about it. Mm. And sure enough, the Ancient One shows him the truth that his little feelers are are still fucked up. And Mordo explains that sometimes he does stuff like this without the Ancient One's approval, and that he'll cure Strange one more time as long as he leaves, right now, and doesn't ask any questions about his suspicious behavior. But hey, what do you know? Blizzard time. There's a blizzard outside. They're all trapped inside. And looking at his reflection, Strange finds that Mordo hasn't actually cured him at all. Again! Just to top it all off. Yeah. And this is wonky. As all hell. Yeah. Like... It happens in, what, like, three pages, all this? Yeah. Like, it's very It's weird. a lot. But it's so... I just wonder what, <laughs> like, what the, uh, what the end game of sending Strange out with still fucked up hands is. Hmm. Um, just to get him out of there. Well, well I, yeah. I believe he knows... I believe Mordo knows that he's, like, the chosen one. Or could be, maybe. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I just... I'm trying to... I'm trying to track the train of thought that goes, if I put him out of here... With the illusion of good hands, 
he's like going to try and climb down a ladder and die or something. Right. Is right. that the thought process Maybe. that he's he's just not going to come back when yeah. he's like my hands don't work. Actually, I'm killing people on the table. I was going to say, I can imagine him thinking that he's, like, really deftly, like, operating, you know, and seeing his hands that way. Meanwhile, there's just, like, a, you know, there's, like, a deer. Yeah. (laughs) Just, like, what's going on? And he's, like, pulling out, you know, bits and bombs. I'm making a charcuterie board. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, guess what? What? Resident villain. I mean, uh, Dormammu worshiper. I mean, fucking Mordo. Uh, He's just vibing. Uh, and maybe making strange sleepwalk into killing himself, or is it the ancient one with his his glowing amulet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably not. I'm gonna wager it's the ancient one protecting him. Uh, but what are you gonna do? And yeah, I, I, we were right. Uh, Mordo's an asshole, and the ancient one gives him his walking papers. And there's no Blizzard after all because these characters are all idiots. <laughs> Uh, the Ancient One cures Strange for realsies this time and offers him the opportunity to take his place at the Ancient One's side as the Chosen One. So now the two are hanging out and Strange learns the ways of the Force, his magic really magic, all mm-hmm. that good stuff. Fights an older version of himself with a sword. We all do it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. some internal. Gets a Spaceballs helmet. Yeah, and I think that's great. You know, we're learning. We're learning about astral projections. It's fun times. It's It's a lot like the 2016 movie, sort of, where there's like a little bit of a... You know, learning curve he's got going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, we have one line of dialogue that's in both this script and the finished movie where he's like, teach me, you know? And I just mm-hmm. think that's great. Uh, it's like poetry. It's sort of they rhyme. Uh, training montage. Training montage, Violet. Yes. He's really getting the hang of it, you know? He's doing flips and jumping on vines. Flips, and... vines. He's doing it for the vine. Yeah. However, he finds the other half of Skull Cane and shit starts getting weird. Doctor Weird. Weird. No, that's not it. Uh, Mordo <laughs> returns, kicks sand in their faces, takes Skull Cane, and fuck off. Uh, Strange tries to save the injured one, but it looks pretty grim. <laughs> so, a lot happens. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I missed that joke when I pre-read the script, and now I'm, I really am enjoying it. Uh, you're, I'm sorry, you, when you read this one? Oh, that's right. We don't have those. Yeah. We make all of this up off the top of our heads. (laughs) This is off the dome. Yeah. So Strange, he's got to go back to his uh, spooky brownstone. I mean the Sanctum Sanctorum! And retrieve the other half of Skull Cane before Mordo does. So Strange portals back to New York and the Sanctum. And there he finds the dude from the shop earlier with like the weird, you know, fire test thing going on. Mm -hmm. Who is it? It's Anthony Daniels. Oh. How's he doing? He played C-3PO. Oh. The assist. That'd be weird if he was playing Wong. Yeah, it would be weird. It would be a pretty Wong casting choice. God damn it. It's Wong! (laughs) It's Wong! But here he's just like a full-on manservant, and he's not really like the Robin to Strange's Batman as he he goes on to be when he's played by Benedict Wong. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, he he meets him for, for... you know, they get to know each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, Strange goes to get Skull Cane from his colleague, but she sold it to that mysterious British lady, because, you know, wouldn't you, if she asked? Uh, so he goes to the lady. Uh, is it Liana or Liana? Liana, Liana? I think. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and he demonstrates- it doesn't matter. She's not going to make it out. I'm- Spoiler alert. Are you spoiling this movie that never got made? What the hell? Uh, so he goes to the lady, and he demonstrates his powers to prove that he's the real Benadryl Thundercats, you know? Uh, but he, you know, so he projects to her office to prove it, but... It's a trap! Yeah, there we go. See, now, now, there you go. All star cruisers engage! That's right. (laughs) S-foils to attack positions! Hell yeah. 
uh, Lyanna accuses Strange of killing her brother and taking his place. But Mordo's the one who actually killed her brother, and he's like, he like objectifies her and he like punches her in the face, which you know it's not it's not great. He's like, ah yes, I've slept I slept with her on so many occasions that she begged me to fight Doctor Strange. It's so weird. Yeah, it's very weird. But wait a minute, maybe she isn't evil after all. This is a lot for just a couple pages of script. I'm gonna be honest. It's like yeah, three twists in one. It's, it's like really weird. Really hardcore. Yeah. But there's uh, there's kind of a fun little chase sequence where Strange's astral projection form chases after his kidnapped body. and The whole uh, conceit mm. of this astral projection thing yeah. and why it's such, a <clears throat> it's such an issue in the script is that you can only – there's a ticking clock on it. Right. It's like the Animorphs. You can only be out of your body for an hour, and if you're not back in your body by the time it's over, um, you're stuck mm. and you die in astral and real life. It's I like, guess. like Ben 10, you know? Yeah. It's like Ben 10. Like after a while, the timer goes off and he just goes back to being a regular little boy. Yeah. Uh, so before Strange turns back into a regular little boy, mm-hmm. uh, he has he has a chase and he's chasing down his body and the whole sequence kind of caps off with Strange climbing on the two goons, like attempting to dump him in the river or whatever. <laughs> uh, so Strange and Liana reconcile and they agree that Mordo's an absolute chode. He's a clod, you know? And uh, they return to the Himalayas. And Strange finds that Mordo has abducted the abducted one, and they could be anywhere in the world right now. But Strange disguises himself as Mordo, and he dupes his confidant, and he figures it all out. So, there's a lot. It, yeah. it really, we go from spending a solid, what, like, 50 pages, like, in one location, training and meeting characters. And now, all of a sudden, yeah. a lot is happening. The, the, a lot happens in the middle of this script. Act 2 is about four pages long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 a lot. Uh, so there's a coming eclipse, and it's heralding the return of Dormammu, mm-hmm. and they take a plane to Turkey. Yeah. Okay. I I don't know why. It's pretty weird. Yeah, they're they're definitely with National Geographic. They're not you know terrorists. Not at all. America no. doesn't think terrorists were invented until two thousand one. Uh, Strange and Mordo face off, and it's getting intense. And Liana gets a bit of revenge for her brother, but Mordo O.J. Simpsons her with Skullcane. And Dormammu arrives at last, and surprise, surprise, <laughs> he thinks Mordo's an asshole too. So he destroys Mordo's ring, and he sends him fleeing and his Ford Bronco off into the sunset. Strange uses that classic sleight-of-hand magic on Dormammu and tricks him into destroying Skullcane himself. Dormammu is sucked back to Ohio, and the day is saved. Or is it... Strange catches up with Mordo and delivers a good couple shots right into his suck hole. Uh, but he can't quite bring himself to kill him, even though Mordo killed Liana. Which, I mean, they, they, they fridged her. Yeah. Like, that's, it's really glossed over, but they, they fridged her, like, straight yeah. up. She's There's barely like no, in it. She's yeah. in it for maybe eight minutes, probably, mm-hmm. total. She's dead. Uh, but the sneaky one decides it's an even better idea to portal Mordo off to eternal torture instead. So, you know. Yeah, everybody wins. wins. Yeah. He's definitely not going to get out of there like General Zod or anything. No. 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 There's no way back out of what's happening to him. Uh, the comforting one tells Strange that he'll never truly feel home, but that there's a lot of franchise potential out there, and they portal off to the sunset together, arm in arm. It's cute. And that's, that's what happens. Yeah. There's a lot, but also not much. Yeah. Like... That's, that's exactly right. <laughs> and, and it's... I think... I think they cut right to the chase with Mordo, pretty much, and that's cool, because I know in, in the movie that we got, they sort of set up Mordo being a villain later, and mm-hmm. then in the sequel, they, they don't really fully have that happen. Like, it's, it just 
cuts out the middleman and knows that you know that he's probably shady. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, it's a little dense with things to learn. You know, you're learning as much as, as he is. Uh, but Violet, what do you think? What do you think of this, uh... You know, I think you kind of you kind of put it put it perfectly that it's it's a lot and also not very much. Right. Where only a few major events happen. Yeah. You know, he has his accident. He mm-hmm. goes. You know, I mean, it's very. You know, you can see that Bob Gale is writing. He wants something really comics accurate. Yeah. Um, and I have a feeling like Liana is. She's probably a character. She, yeah. She, well, she's probably just. She's probably not you think? a character. Yeah. I've, it's sort of like, uh, what's her face? Um, Susan Dent. Sure. Where you can kind of tell that, like, one of these things is not like the others. Right. Oh, I see what you mean. Because. Yeah, because she's she may not be a character from the comics. And I could be wrong. I'm sure. And we'll anything some... could happen to her because she's not from. Yeah. I see. But it's also just the, the fridging. Yeah. It's like all the other characters. Like, they don't kill Mordo. Even mm. though they could, like, mm. all this kind of stuff. I think it's serviceable. It's Bob, obviously. Like, Bob Gale's a good writer. Mm. I think the thing that I enjoyed the most about this script is reading his... Like, is actually reading the script. Yeah. I think as a it's movie, a good I read. Of, yeah. Uh, I, I appreciate when a script isn't just, like, he sits, he stands. I like when there's a little bit of flourish. You know, like, when there's a little bit of yeah. prose in there. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of snark, a little bit of, like... It moves at a pretty good pace, even though two-thirds of it is really just taking place in Nepal, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's a good kind of forward... And, then you know, there's all sorts of little things that pay off. There's a lot of setup payoff. You know, I feel like buying this spooky house. It's like, oh, why? And then later on, it's like, well, it was magic all along. It's to become your sanctum or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's confusing to the average person, but if you're, like, if you're hip with it, like, you can sort of adapt yeah um i mean i'm never gonna be a huge fan of a white savior narrative and that's all dr strange has ever been yeah um they're doing they're doing an entertaining job with what could be not much yeah and i think if you gave this to say sam raimi in the 80s you know what mm-hmm. i mean if bob gale wrote this and this didn't change and you handed it to sam raimi or whoever else at the time and were like make this i think you could the added layer that would sit with you more and you know you'd be able to chew on more than the story could mm. be just the opportunities for the visuals seems like a vehicle to have you know a very effects heavy movie mm-hmm. um seems like something to really test your budget on yeah i guess so um but i mean as we know there really wasn't any forward movement on this script right yeah exactly um but i do have a few other little inside baseball stories for mm. you uh that this particular one is from just after the 2016 movie came out. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I don't know why it's called Inside Baseball. That was my next question. Uh, yeah, I don't know how somebody would get inside a baseball to begin with. But moving on. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this story whether you want to hear it or not. So, shh. Uh, oh. Yes. All right. Yeah. So C. Robert Cargill, the writer of 2016's Doctor Strange, gets a call about a month after the movie comes out. And it's the WGA, which is the Writers Guild of America, the people who are in charge of trying to make sure that writers in film, television, and media get paid fairly. Sure. And everybody gets the it's they have the rules about how people get credit and all There's this. There's the writers' kind of stuff. strike through the same thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so it turns out that Bob Gale saw the 2016 movie and felt that it borrowed from his screenplay, 
which Cargill didn't even know that Gale had written. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like there's there's options for, you know, like, maybe it was kind of known, but, like, shh, we're borrowing from the same comic book, so whatever. Well, yeah, that's yeah. kind of exactly how it goes, right? Yeah. Is what it was is that both writers stayed fairly close to the source material. Mm-hmm. For example, as we've just been over it, the scripts all feature Doctor Strange, Mordo, and the Ancient One as the triumvirate of, uh, you know, introducing Doctor Strange. But Gale was one of the first people to feature these characters in a screenplay. Right. Um, because there had been that TV pilot and stuff, but never a feature film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Gale was one of the first people to try and adapt it. Uh, so Gale thought that he deserved attribution for that, um, which I kind of understand. I guess, but also, I mean, if if every Batman movie up until 1989, if they had made a bunch and it was like, this is a man in red spandex and a little bowler mask with a big, big glider on his back. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you're the first one to do a Batman movie with Robin and the Joker and the Batmobile or whatever. You didn't create those things. You just took them from the comics. So it's like, yes, you were the first in a way, but mm-hmm. you're basing it on stuff that you didn't create. Yeah, so exactly. So it's a little bit back and forth. It's it's uh it's different from like the RoboCop reboot, right? Or the sure. remake yeah. where it's like, you know, you owe things to this original film. Mm. Um but that RoboCop didn't come from like a book or it's it's right. original material, right. right? Whereas uh this and the way the the uh, WGA explained it was that they had updated their rules about adapting source material around 2004. And those changes and adaptations happen all the time, where it's just like, what's the best way to make sure that everybody gets paid fairly for this? How do we determine this in the right way? Um, And they said basically exactly what you just said, uh, that if you adapted something, say a comic book, as a screenwriter, and then somebody else adapted that same book later on, Anything that you got from that book itself, like Doctor Strange, like Mordo, like Dormammu, it's not actually yours in the same way that original material is. Like what you do with them is, you know, like that's something exclusive to you. But mm-hmm. I, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, there's been so many different reboots of Spider-Man and what have you where, I mean, yeah, they all use the Green Goblin, but like, mm-hmm. you know, how you do it is different. Yeah. And I mean, the nice thing is that this story did end pretty well mm-hmm. uh because they explained everything to cargill and bob gale and bob gale was like oh fuck me i'm sorry <laughs> like sure i really didn't mean to cause trouble because mm-hmm. he's not a it feels important to say that he's not the kind of guy who was just like i want money because money right like well, yeah he was he, just like i think that i i did this it's him and zemeckis that say i mean that you know that you're right in that they're not, he's not the kind of guy because their rule is no remakes or sequels for Back to the Future until they're dead. And you know yeah. they're going to do that the minute they die. Yeah, so we but, have to keep them alive know, forever. Sticking to the integrity, yeah. I mean, it yeah. makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. So it worked out well. I mean, the only thing they had to pay, um, pay Gale for was the Marty McFly cameo. Sure, yeah. That was, was a weird cr- part of the script. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. was weird. He just like flew through on a uh, skateboard, mm. you know, just knocked, knocked Doctor Strange over. It was pretty weird. But, you know, that's how movies these days are made. They're just like, look, it's Marty McFly, and then you mm-hmm. clap, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Strange called him a dreamboat, and we moved on. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, is he wrong? Uh, so, Violet, mm-hmm. we like to move on to a little segment towards the end of our show, don't we? Yes, we do. Uh, it's called, uh, oh, what's it called? What's it called? 
It's called uh, Sad or Glad. It's a trap! Right. Sad Glad. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Are we, I, was are little, we... I was a little low. On, I was a little slow on the uh, uptake on that one. It would have hey, been. Yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, are we sad Fuck or glad? No. <laughs> are we sad or glad the script didn't take off? I mean, as now you're someone that doesn't really care about that. Yeah, and I, I honestly didn't until mm-hmm. you know, like for a minute, I was like, oh yeah, the movie was all right. <laughs> yeah, pretty so. much. I mean, I'm just bummed for Bob Gale. Because this is yeah. one of those odd situations where he is just such a huge fan of the comics as a whole yeah. that he like it was a passion project for him that he really wanted to get it done. Yeah. Um, and on that side, like, yeah, it's kind of a bummer, but also there's nothing there's nothing about this that I look at and go, I wish I could have seen that on the big screen. Yeah. Like I, it feels like a real missed opportunity that this didn't get made. Not, not really. Yeah. I'm mostly sort of indifferent. I think if it was made by a really visionary director at the time and it wasn't totally schlock and mm-hmm. it was sort of like, you know, if they stuck to it pretty closely and they got the right person to helm it, I think it'd be cool if we lived in a universe where that was made. And then also we had the new stuff because mm-hmm. the new stuff is, is pretty good. And it, it, is introducing weirder stuff into Marvel, which can get really samey. Yeah. So it's nice to have a franchise that, you know, you can do some weirder stuff with and some mm-hmm. more visual stuff with. Right. So I'm sort of indifferent in that I don't really care that it didn't get made, but it would be a curious oddity. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good point that you bring up that, like, the the Multiverse of Madness especially mm. is bringing more oddity into the Marvel Universe, more magic, more unusual things. And I mentioned Sam Raimi earlier directing yeah. this at the time and he did direct the sequel, Multiverse yeah, of Madness. Exactly. So that I mean those two things always seem like Yeah, and it's just the, it's just that this script doesn't have that weirdness to it, right? It's very here's an origin story. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And we're not gonna really push the envelope. We're not really gonna do anything too crazy with it. The most kind so, of extra creative thing is sort of the astral strange chasing his body around, which is sort of like in the actual movie that got made, there's like a fight in a hospital where he's like dying on the the hospital bed and then his astral form is fighting another, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of like sequences like that are cool. So yeah. as long as something like that went on to get made, then, mm-hmm. you know, the path yeah. to get there. I mean, I'm the, right the bummer about that sequence is if you cut it out of the script, nothing would really nothing change. Nothing happens. Yeah. 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 Just need a little action sequence in there. Yeah. Um, well, right. I think, I think this was a good pick. Um, I think it's apt considering the new movie's out, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm glad you brought it to my attention. Yeah. So we've got some housekeeping. Right. Yes, we do have some housekeeping. I'm notes. not going to turn on the vacuum, though. That's good. No vacuums. Startles, just yeah. Just dusters. Yeah, yeah. Quiet dusters. Mm. No noise. No noise. Uh, who is this episode sponsored by again? Diana, Princess of Wales. Let's have her on the show sometime. Yeah, we should. I, I love can... Diana. That's so mean. I dropped it on <laughs> I didn't tell you I was putting that in. I just kind of oh, went into the Google man. Doc and added that. All right. So, so we do have some actual housekeeping. Yeah, um, we, we have stuff now. When we yeah. first started the show, we didn't really have uh, a place where you could find us necessarily, but now we do. Yes, so we do. tell us all about it. All right. So right now, we are definitely available on Spotify. Yeah. Uh, we should, by the time you hear this, be available on Apple Podcasts as well. Very nice. Um, they take a little bit longer to verify everything because it's Apple. Mm. Um, let me tell you the number of, like security codes that I got from them to as I was creating our account to submit 
things to them is insane. Yeah. I feel like it's it's a full time. Everybody who works for Apple just generates random number combinations yeah. that you have to tap into your phone, so, so that then job. they know it's you. Yeah, um, and then they can send you uh, not correct geographical pin pings about where someone's trying to access your uh, your, your your account from. It's all about safety, cyber safety. They think I'm in Florida, though. That's not... Follow, rate, and review. (laughs) Obviously. Yes. And the reason we say that is because that is how we get more earballs on our stuff. Yeah. A follow of our podcast, a rating is huge, and a review would be awesome. And we can can definitely read, you know, some reviews out at the end of the show. For uh, sure. If we start getting them, if they're they're fun. Definitely. And if it's just like, you suck, like, we'll read that too. Yeah, we will. We'll do a dramatic Shakespearean reading of mm. any critical reviews. If you could leave your reviews in iambic pentameter, that would be appreciated. Yeah, as I am a thespian, mm-hmm. indeed. Mm. Uh, and we do have a website now. Mm. Yep. What's it called? Unsanctionedbuffoonery.net. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the most exciting thing of all. Mm-hmm. So you know, if for some reason you didn't find us on Spotify or Apple or the usual podcasting spots, and you just happen to type in unsanctionedbuffoonery.net you're in luck and you're listening to our show there so yes exactly and you can download it from the website as well if you're really one of those people who hates uh spotify clients or whatever it may be or apple Mm. you can just download your own copy of it to keep yeah you can have our dulcet tones with you anywhere and everywhere at all times smooth jazz yeah i agree yeah and uh Violet, did you hear that uh, our last episode, our Bruce Wayne episode, uh, beat out Joe Rogan on Spotify? Did I did that? see that. I yeah. saw the headline that said... I mean, I didn't, uh, I didn't open the article. They were definitely talking about <laughs> Yeah, they were this. definitely they were like, talking. Batman podcast beats out Joe Rogan. I'm like, well, clearly. Obviously. You know, like, did, did you hear it? <laughs> I did. You know? So, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. We'll be back, um, I believe, next time. We're going to be talking about uh, the script that's out there for the CW version of the powerpuff girls yes indeed so that's exciting so that's that's gonna be a trip yeah that's a trip y'all it's tri- <laughs> honestly what i've seen of it is trippier than dr strange like, <laughs> like legitimately so you know look forward to that and uh yeah all right until next time yeah uh, i've been zach i am still violet on occasion and uh this has been unproduced unproduced we don't know the name of our own show clearly <laughs> <laughs> um, see you next time, everyone. Bye.